This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to our program today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joel Hilliker. Some strange things are happening in the world right now, and our new Trumpet Print Edition talks about them. We're posting the April 2023 Trumpet Print Edition online today, and the headline on the cover is, Are Satan and the Demons Real? Gerald Flurry's opening article in this issue is titled, Satan is Real. Do You Recognize Him? He says, most people are totally ignorant of the most powerful spiritual force in the world today. His article begins, Satan worshipers are getting bolder, and he talks about some specific examples, including the Grammy Awards this year, featuring the presentation of a song titled Unholy by performers who were dressed like the devil and his demons. And Mr. Flory writes, such blatant evil signals the depth of moral and spiritual sickness of our society. There's another feature article in this trumpet issue by uh, Richard Palmer titled The Dangerous Rise of Demonism. And in our first segment today, we're going to hear from him a report from Richard Palmer about this dark trend. Then we'll look at the meteoric rise of artificial intelligence. It really is taking the world by storm from chat GPT and other chat box interfaces to healthcare applications, autonomous vehicles. Some are calling this a revolution, every bit as transformative as the industrial revolution. We'll have a conversation with trumpet writer Josue Michels about how AI is changing the nature of weaponry and warfare and how this could actually factor into the fulfillment of some important end-time prophecies. In our third segment, we'll talk about coffee outside of water and tea. This is the most popular beverage in the world, and it actually has many proven health benefits. But there are also some caveats you need to know to make sure it doesn't hurt your health. We'll talk to holistic nutritionist York Mardian about the perks and the perils of coffee. And our last word today is about the most powerful result that prayer can accomplish. Let's begin by looking at the rise in demonic activity in our world in this report from Richard Palmer. Summoning demons has never been so fun. That's the blurb from A Children's Book of Demons, and it's an apt description of the world we live in. Outright demonism is cool, trendy, and glamorous. After-school Satan clubs are available at a handful of elementary schools in the US. They even have a theme song. Satan's not an evil guy, he just wants you to learn and question why. Young witches post videos on how to get into paganism on TikTok. People with multiple personalities get likes for switching between different minds in front of the camera. Two transgender men dominate world headlines by dressing as Satan for the Grammy Awards. One up-and-coming singer, also transgender, has the name of his favorite demon tattooed on his forehead. A rapper released a music video that showed him descending into hell and giving Satan a lap dance. It was previewed in a Super Bowl commercial and followed up by Satan's Shoes, a collaboration with Nike that allowed people to buy the trainers that Satan was shown wearing which contained actual human blood. Movies and video games involving demonic themes have been around for years, but they're getting worse and worse and much more commonly accepted. What in the world is going on? 
Well, Satan and demonism has become an increasingly big part of our news cycle. The rise of all of these themes has led people to ask, are demons real? Now, America's Christians are split on whether or not Satan exists. Generally, polls put this around a 50 divide, which is not too surprising. American Christians are similarly split over whether or not God exists as a personal being. Uh, One study actually reached the bizarre conclusion that more American Christians believe in Satan than in God. But what does the Bible say? Well, the Gospels record Jesus Christ regularly being confronted by and casting out demons. He delegated similar authority to his disciples, and demon-influenced people are encountered regularly in the book of Acts as well. Some demons described there are violent and aggressive. Others are annoying. Some people possessed with demons suffer seizures and loss of control. Some deliberately cut, mutilate, or harm themselves. They often make loud cries and scream. Some cause physical disabilities. And many demons can possess the same individual, with uh, one particular being possessed by a whole legion of demons. So if you believe the Bible is accurate and it is an accurate record of the life of Jesus Christ in the early church, well, you have to believe that demons are real. The Bible shows that these spirit beings have a profound influence on this world, and often that influence is invisible, but as it goes stronger, it is becoming plainer. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. He subtly influences everyone in it. That's confirmed by Ephesians 2 and verse 2. That's been the case throughout mankind's history, but the book of Revelation says that things get much worse at the end of that history. Revelation 12 and verse 12 describes a time when Satan knows that he has but a short time. Satan's time as the god of this world is almost over. After a war in heaven which Satan lost, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceives the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. God warns woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. So this verse tells us that Satan and his fallen angels, millions of demons, were driven out of heaven and cast down to earth. Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry writes in his free book America Under Attack that never before has this world been so infested with demons. Look around, he continues. The evil proliferating in every direction has a source, and this prophecy exposes it. That's the spiritual reality behind these shocking news and modern trends. Now, it's important to know that something does not have to look obviously evil to be evil. Satan can come as an angel of light. Something can appear wholesome. It can look like it's from God and be from the devil. But as society is driven further and further from God, well, there's less and less reason to hide or disguise that evil. And so that's why you see so much of this outright Satanism so clearly on display. Perhaps the most naked display of this demonism comes from the multiplicity movement. Vice described the concept in a May 2015 article, Are Multiple Personalities Always a Disorder? It has an introduction through the lens of Fala Liang, who says that she has sensed the presence of a bird-like man in her mind since she was five, and that this presence was joined by others as she grew older. Vice writes, A multiplicity system refers to the group within the body itself. The system might consist of two people, or it might consist of 200. The multiplicity community, it says a bit further down, insists on being seen as healthy, even normal. 
This is our reality, they argue. Why are you imposing your reality onto us? Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID, and its controversial predecessor, Multiple Personality Disorder, are terms roundly rejected by the community, and most of them don't feel that they belong in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual at all. With DID, it's more like a person's body is a boarding house filled with many guests, and you're not quite sure who will come to the door when you knock, states a March 2019 Vice article. Some of these quote-unquote multiplicity systems are so large, they think of themselves as a city rather than a person. Others push for more rights for other of these multiplicity systems through groups like plural activism. And those who embrace DID so strongly are rare, but the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, published by the American Psychiatric Association in 2013, estimates that 1.5% of Americans experience something like this each year. Other estimates say that between 0.01 and 1% of the population are affected. And some have gone on to create followings for themselves on TikTok or on YouTube. The most prominent have over a million followers, the hashtag DID, which will bring up videos of people openly influenced by demons, has 2.5 billion views. One video of a, quote, system switching between personalities and the follow-up discussion got 100 million views. One uh, host of a DID system of 12 said, I get so many comments from people saying, why does everyone have a DID all of a sudden? Since this so-called DID became a TikTok phenomenon, well, uh, one psychologist told Teen Vogue that all of a sudden all of my adolescent patients think that they have this. And these TikTok videos, they make multiple personalities and these different minds seem cool and glamorous. The reality is even Teen Vogue admits is truly scary. Ranging, ranging from amnesia to fits and seizures. Over 70% of outpatients that are being treated for DID have attempted suicide. Letting a bunch of demons in makes a person very miserable. And the Bible also links witchcraft, wizardry, and the occult with demonism. And some modern witches would make the connection themselves. Others consider themselves more worshippers of nature. But when God commands ancient Israel to avoid those who get into magic and the occult, he also warns about those who have familiar spirits in Leviticus 19 verses 31, those who talk to demons. And the most detailed example of witchcraft in the Bible, the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28, King Saul is shown going to a woman who had a familiar spirit. This woman claims to be putting Saul in contact with the dead prophet Samuel. But the Bible establishes that the dead don't know anything. He couldn't have been talking to Samuel. Instead, a demon was impersonating him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul states that pagan religions directly worship devils. That's in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20. So modern witchcraft, wicca, and neo-paganism are all forms of demon worship, and they're on the rise. Early surveys suggested that in 1990, about 8,000 Americans identified themselves as Wiccans, a form of witchcraft. The 2014 Pew Religious Landscape Study estimated at that point that 1 to 1.5 million were Wiccan or pagan. That's around the same number as attend the Presbyterian Church, which is 1.4 million. And even this may be an undercount. Wicca is quickly becoming yesterday's movement. Modern witches are more likely to call themselves eclectic witches, picking and choosing for themselves which crafts they practice. Modern pagan beliefs are even more common. More than 60% of adults hold at least one of the following New Age spiritualistic beliefs. That spiritual energy can be located in physical things, in psychics, in reincarnation, 
or in astrology. The psychic services industry, which includes astrology, aura reading, uh, mediumship, tarot card reading, palmistry, is estimated to be worth over $2 billion annually. You have celebrities like the uh, singer Adele have said that he talked about using healing crystals. Witchcraft accessories like tarot cards or supposedly magical symbols are available to buy in even mainstream stores. Even practices as occult as using mediums are starting to become mainstream. Prince Harry said he contacted a medium to try and talk to his dead mother. And he's not alone. One in five Americans say they have contacted a psychic or a medium. About the same proportion believe that mediums have the ability to contact the dead. And this movement is also receiving a glamorous online update. Witch talk has become a major phenomenon on TikTok. Videos with tags like hashtag witch talk have amassed 30 billion views. That's more than tags such as hashtag Biden, 8.5 billion, and it's around equal with hashtag Kardashians. And then there's other tags like Baby Witch, helping people get into witchcraft that have picked up hundreds of millions of views. But perhaps the most blatant evidence of demonism is seen in the rapid rise of the transgender movement. In 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 3, Paul warns of many departing from the faith, listening to the doctrine of devils or demons. Well, what are these doctrines? One that he lists is forbidding to marry. The Bible reveals that demons are fallen angels. They left their first estate and rebelled against God. In some passages, demons are referred to as the devil's angels. And like righteous angels, they are sexless and genderless. As Herbert W. Armstrong explained in his book, The Missing Dimension in Sex, God created marriage and family in human beings for a profound purpose, to teach us wonderful truths about our potential to be born as sons of God. And the demons have neither this potential nor the ability to reproduce themselves. So they hate it. For centuries, they have influenced religions to believe that sex is shameful, that being single is better than being married, that priests should be celibate, none of which is taught in the Bible. And now this hatred is manifest more clearly than ever with people mutilating their own bodies and taking on gender-neutral pronouns, imitating the genderless demons. One in four LGBT youth use gender-neutral pronouns. And uh, they're introducing new pronouns, so-called neo-pronouns. One of the most popular is fey, fea, fey-self. And fey is a, essentially a pagan word for demon or spirit. These people want others to refer to them as demons. And in fact, pagans are even complaining about the LGBT movement uh, appropriating their word. Even more closely related to demons is the Two-Spirit movement. It's billed as a Native American version of the LGBT movement. And they believe that having two spirits in them is what causes their homosexual or transgender behavior. The Two-Spirit movement, it has its own flag. It's taught in schools like those in California and Canada. More extreme, you have things like the otherkin or fictionkin movements, where people identify as animals or fictitious creatures like dragons, vampires, or elves. Now, the Bible shows that many angels and therefore demons look like animals. Satan himself is described as a dragon. Some will get extreme tattoos or piercings to look more like the animals they believe they are. Some will even call themselves demonkin, identifying as demons. LGBT individuals, especially those in the transgender movement, are heavily represented in some of these other open manifestations of demonism. Those with multiple personalities are often transgender. A scroll through witch talk 
shows that these videos are overwhelmingly from the so-called LGBT community. A 2015 Pew survey found that these LGBT people are twice as likely to have a non-Christian religion, including paganism and Wicca. So there's a spiritual reality behind the rise of demonism, but there are other direct causes. Certain behaviors open up the mind to demons, and these are on the rise. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote that under normal circumstances, no one need fear a demon may take possession of their minds. Generally, he said it can only happen if you, quote, open up your mind by letting it be blank or under the control or influence, or lose your mind in an emotional angry rage. Certain religious rituals are designed to let the mind go blank and allow a demon to take control, but far more common today are mind-altering drugs that break down the mind's defenses and can allow in demons. In 2021, over 100,000 people died of drug overdoses in the United States. The 2017 National Survey on Drug Use and Health estimated that 20 million Americans aged 12 and over had a substance disorder. There have been some well-publicized examples of adults having their whole personality changed, and they have gone on to violently attack others. One such individual videoed himself attacking and then eating his homosexual partner. There is such a thing as monsters, demons, and ghosts, he wrote on his Facebook page. They live inside of us, and sometimes they win. Dabbling in the occult is another way to invite in demons. God has admonished us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them in Ephesians 5 and verse 11. But today, demonism is mass entertainment. Harry Potter opened the mainstream floodgates. Half of all Americans aged 18 to 34 have read at least one of these books. 61% of all Americans have watched one of the movies. Books and movies about zombies, werewolves, vampires, and witches are common. Video games can prove a potent gateway. They're highly addictive, often coupled with violent or demonic themes. The Bible reveals that music has a powerful connection to the spirit world. Uplifting music from David could cause demons to leave. That's mentioned in 1 Samuel 16. But on the other hand, the Bible says that Lucifer was created with musical pipes with innate musical ability. He is the real author of depraved music, and an evil musical environment can open one up to demonic influence. Pornography and perverted sex can be another gateway with the demons' hatred of godly principles of marriage and family. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 3 also labels vegetarianism, forbidding to eat the meats that God has proclaimed fit for human consumption, as a doctrine of demons. Is it a coincidence that vegetarianism or a reduced meat flexitarian diet is being pushed by the elites of this world? Physical health can affect mental attitude. Pushing people into unhealthy diets and lifestyles can make them more open to evil influences. We need to protect our minds and the minds of our children from these kind of influences, and instead, they're given free reign. Isaiah 57 and verse 5 gives God's verdict on society today. Inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. That's the New King James Version. Today, lust draws many people into the worship of false gods and demons. In his book, Isaiah's End Time Vision, Mr. Flurry wrote, Anciently, the Israelites sometimes physically sacrificed their own children. Today, we sacrifice our youth spiritually when we give them no uplifting vision, when we sacrifice them to sexual lust and fornication. The internet alone does 10 billion to 13 billion worth of business in pornography every year just in America. It is the most profitable online business. We also sacrifice our children to demoniacal music, drugs, and greed. In the nations of Israel, this is done even before our youths are taught to use their minds. Sadly, these trends have reached such extremes that today some children have become possessed. While we should not go anywhere near demons or demon influences, we have no reason to fear them. 
Throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as vastly more powerful than Satan and the fallen angels. Demons had to obey God's ministers and Christ beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. The demons tremble with fear, the Bible says, before God's power. So powerful is God that he can use Satan for his own ends. In the book of Job, God allows Satan to bring great suffering on Job, but it was to help Job overcome and grow. And the book ends with God blessing Job more than ever before. God is allowing the demonic attacks today. But though the demons are in total rebellion against him, it is all to his glory. It will lead to mankind learning the horrible consequences of rebelling against God. Our free book, Mystery of the Ages, has a chapter on the mystery of angels and evil spirits. It explains their role in God's plan and how God is fulfilling this for the world today. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. Artificial intelligence is taking over the world. Forbes wrote this last December. Artificial intelligence has graduated from the hype stage of the last decade, and its use cases are now well-documented, spanning a wide range from healthcare applications to autonomous vehicles. And then this article makes this important statement, but its introduction to warfare will likely be the deciding factor in who will dominate the information age. How is AI affecting weaponry and warfare? To talk about this, we have here in the studio, trumpet writer Josue Michels. Hello there. Hello, Mr. Hileka. So what are some of the innovations with warfare that AI is making? Yes, so Forbes is basically just saying, look at all that is happening in this field, it's revolutionizing our life. But now, what does it do for the military? And a lot of that is still in the innovation stage. They think about the implications, like how could it impact cyber attacks? We have self-driving cars now. How could we deploy that in space? Are we going to have satellites that can maneuver this through space by themselves? And what would that mean for the military operations? We are vulnerable. There's great weaknesses if such a satellite could be taken down by another satellite. They're just talking about how could that affect space? How could it affect the military applications? And they're saying we have to watch how those implications could really change the race for space. And a lot of this is still speculative, but there could be self maneuvering satellites and there have been talks about satellites with laser weapons so if you combine those new technologies you could see how a satellite could be very effective in protecting themselves from debris but a satellite like that could also come close to other satellites it could scan those satellites it could see the weaknesses of those satellites it could completely destroy them with a powerful laser weapon or it could harm them in a way where they would be permanently disabled so there's a there are a lot of potential applications here, uh, and there are, there are some that, that that are already being put to use. Which nations are uh, really on the cutting edge of some of these technologies? Yes, that's right. So we have America, obviously, that's heavily invested in that, and they heavily invest in defense applications, and they see the rise of China and Russia. They are very heavily involved in their space programs already. And it's said that China may overtake the United States in 
the space operations within a decade. At the same time, China has invested the greatest sums in artificial intelligence. So they are most fearful right now of Chinese deployments in space. They also have been working on laser weapons that can shoot down satellites from the ground. And such laser weapons are likely to be deployed in the next few years. Now, there are regulations against that in space and things like that, but can you trust China? So how about uh, Germany and Europe? How, how are they doing? Uh, what sorts of applications are they looking to, um, to put into place? Right, so the European Union, they have their own space program, the European Space Agency, and they have been cooperating with America for decades, they have been cooperating with Russia for decades, and they have been cooperating with China for decades. But comparatively, they have very few satellites up there. But they have some of the most powerful applications as well. For example, they have their own version of GPS, it's called Galileo, that was started in 2006, and I think it was launched in 2016. So they have been becoming independent in that sector, and it's said to be more accurate and it's also more protected against jamming attacks and things like that. So they're more advanced because they started a little bit later as well. But they also started a very interesting one. Just in 2019, they launched a program to remove debris from space. So in, in essence, they can get up there. The plan is to take satellites that are not functioning anymore and take them back to Earth or to remove them otherwise. So that's a very interesting one because if you can take down satellites that are not operational anymore, you can also take down satellites that are operational. But the whole technology behind getting up there, grabbing a satellite and moving it around, that's very innovative and Europe is leading in some of that. So I, I think uh, China has certainly gotten a lot of attention for just how aggressive it's being in building up its military and, and making advancements. Not so much Europe. Uh, why, why should we be more concerned about Germany, say, than China? I think that's a very interesting question, because if you look at the history of the space program, it really started with Germany, with German rocket scientists that have been researching under the care of Adolf Hitler during World War II and the Allied powers knew that if Germany takes the advantage here, they will win the war. If they have intercontinental missiles, they can hit Britain and that would be a major blow for them. So 1944 occurred and America went into Germany and occupied it and at the same time they took German scientists with them. And one of the reasons was they wanted to get an advantage in the space race. They won an advantage against Russia, who had this very same idea. They also took German scientists. But many German scientists actually preferred to go to America because they knew they would be treated there better. So the first satellite that was launched was by the Soviet Union, but German scientists actually helped with that program as well. But then the United States was lagging behind already, so they knew they are getting more desperate. So they actually put a German scientist in charge of the space operation of creating the first rocket that landed on the moon. So that was actually designed by German scientists. And recently, in the last few decades, the European space program has been closely operating with the United States, and they have been closely operating with Russia, and they have been closely operating with China. So many of the successes that we see in these fields 
are accredited to Russia, China, and the United States, mm. but they have been enabled heavily in the beginning, and, but also recently by Germany. Recently, I saw an article how Germany helped China to the moon. That's also quite something to consider. You know that China is one of the greatest enemies of the United States, but Germany doesn't have any inhibitions to cooperate with China in this field. So you can see that Germany is cooperating with Russia and China, which is seen as the greatest enemy of the United States. At the same time, they're cooperating with United, the United States. So can Germany be trusted? They have all that knowledge gathered from their alliance. And they know the vulnerabilities of America. So that's something to really closely watch. Well, that, that is very interesting that the, the United States uh, really considers Germany a close ally and uh, the cooperation that uh, it has with Germany uh, is, this is actually something that is discussed in biblical prophecy. I'd like to just transition into uh, how what we're talking about here might factor into some biblical prophecies. Um, and this relationship between the United States and Germany being one that they need to be careful about uh, where this could actually backfire on them is, is certainly one aspect that we could talk about. That's right. So most people wouldn't even look into Germany's advances because they seem comparatively insignificantly. But if you look at from the light from Bible prophecy, you can see how that view changes because... You can have a smaller force and a greater alliance, but if that smaller force betrays its greater partner, that could be fatal to that greater partner because it has all the insights that an enemy wouldn't have. And the Bible reveals that that's exactly what's going to happen. The United States is part of the modern descendants of ancient Israel, and there are many prophecies that the United States and Britain and prophecy from the late Herb W. Armstrong explains, are for our day to day. So these prophecies are for our day and they show that modern Israel, the United States and Great Britain will be betrayed by a friend. We can read that in prophecies like Ezekiel 16. And there's a specific prophecy in how that betrayal will come about and we can read that one in Ezekiel 7 verse 14. And there we read, They have blown the trumpet even to make all ready but none goes to the battle. So that's a very specific prophecy, and this prophecy has been revealed to our editor-in-chief, Gerald Fluey, in 1995 when he wrote, The trumpet of war was blown in Israel. Many, mainly America and Britain, it seems everybody was expecting our people to go into battle. But the greatest tragedy imaginable occurred. Nobody went to battle even though the trumpet was blown, end of quote. Now imagine that in our day. Some 25 years later, we are more dependent on technology than ever. The US military is dependent on its satellites. But artificial intelligence may now give the cutting edge of advantage in this field of technology to other nations. In other words, the United States has relied on technology and well, so, they have the technology that no one else has. They have the advantage in the field. But with rapid advances, it will get harder and harder to keep that cutting edge. So if another nation gets an advantage in the field of technology through artificial intelligence, it could orchestrate cyber attacks 
with the help of artificial intelligence that will be so difficult to counter that it will lame the United States for a long time. And more specifically, such attacks can also occur in space. And if you take down the satellites of the United States, the United States will be permanently disabled. Its military will be not be able to go to war, even if the nation's leaders call for it. You know, these uh, advancements in technology, I guess not, not all of them are, are explicitly like artificial intelligence related. And yet these, uh, the dependency that the United States has on technology, on satellites, that, that is something that Gerald Fleury has been talking about for, for quite a long time. Uh, and it could really play a very significant role in the fulfillment of that, uh, that prophecy in Ezekiel in particular. Uh, one last question that I want to ask. I know that you study uh, Carl Theodor zu Gutenberg quite a lot, and he has been extremely interested and involved in AI technology over the last uh, decade. He's a man that uh, our editor-in-chief, Gerald Fleury, he's, he's um, told us quite a lot that we need to keep our eyes on this man. Uh, what What is your view of his role, say, in AI development or maybe statements that he's made that you've found particularly interesting? Yes, he's a man that we have closely watched and he has closely watched technology involvements. He has talked about cyber attacks before and many, many years ago, seven or eight years ago, I read the first statements when he talked about blockchain and artificial intelligence, which are cutting edge technologies today but back then almost nobody has talked about them and he also watches it closely in relation to Germany for example he said that the United States has the supremacy in fields like Google and Facebook and we can't catch up with them in these fields but artificial intelligence intelligence gives us a new opportunity to catch up so he's saying the new technologies will able, enable us to win that race he was a former defense minister, so he also talks about it in that sense. So he has involved, been involved with artificial intelligence companies. He has talked about artificial intelligence. So if he is going to be the next leader, we know that he will heavily invest in these technologies, which could be a game changer in geopolitics as well. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with trumpet writer Josue Michels about artificial intelligence and how it's changing warfare. He has written an article about this artificial intelligence from writing to space warfare. You can check out at thetrumpet.com. We're also just having conversations about bringing this into our next print edition of The Trumpet Magazine and some, uh, some ways that this might factor into some important end-time prophecies. So stay tuned for that. And thank you very much for your time, Josue. Thank you for having me. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. The smell and taste of fresh brewed coffee is a sheer delight for many people. According to the International Coffee Organization, over 2 billion people worldwide take pleasure in the aroma and delicious flavor of freshly roasted beans. Coffee actually provides many proven health benefits as well. Yet underneath the allure also lie a few 
health setbacks. To talk about this, we have via Skype from his office in British Columbia, holistic nutritionist and personal trainer Jorg Mardian. Hello there. Good day. So I would like to ask on behalf of all the coffee lovers out there, uh, Mr. Mardian, what are the health benefits of coffee? Absolutely. Um, Coffee, through many studies today, is proven to have tremendous benefits. Um, A few cups daily provides a lot of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties, uh, as well as a reduction in osteoporosis. Uh, Recent evidence also suggests that coffee can help reduce the risk of depression, cognitive decline, type 2 diabetes. I think there was even a 28 to 60 percent reduction in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Wow. I mean, it's just a a large list of cancers, even a 20 percent reduction in overall mortality. Hmm. And so the sports benefits are also astounding. There's um, a lot of uh, increased muscular endurance and strength, movement velocity, sprinting, jumping, uh, throwing performance benefits, as well as aerobic and anaerobic uh, sports-specific actions. I mean, if you take this at face value, the findings just add to a growing body of um, evidence highlighting the drink's amazing health benefits. But I do want to state that this is in moderation. So on the flip side, over-consuming caffeine can actually reverse all of those healthy outcomes. Mm. Okay, so uh, so it's all a matter of how much you're drinking. So talk about what would be uh, a moderate or appropriate amount. You already mentioned a few a few cups of day. Uh, how does going past that uh, create problems? Right. So for for my the benefits for me would be you know a, a couple of small cups a day. Um, the experts say up to 400 milligrams or less for healthy adults, which is roughly three cups of coffee. I think their cups are a little bigger than mine. <laughs> um, organic instant coffee has the lowest caffeine content um, with about 57 milligrams of caffeine, and that's what I drink. Um, and then you get into other brewing methods, which go into um, which range from 95 to about 175 milligrams per cup. So if you have three of those a day, you know, you're getting up to that 400. Um, Getting over that is the problem. So some people drink four to eight cups a day. I mean, they just just have a coffee in their hand all day long. So that's around 500, 800 milligrams a day. And that's where you're going to get a lot of headaches, insomnia, irritability, nervousness, heartbeat problems, you know, uh, and so on. And the problem is that Many people have no idea how much they ingest daily. Mm-hmm. Besides coffee, uh, there's soft drinks, there's chocolates, there's uh, workout supplements, there's medications, gums that add to the daily caffeine total. Even if you drink tea, uh, two cups of tea equals about a cup of coffee. And now, those involved in fitness, this is where it gets bad. Um, they love their pre-workout drinks. It just gives them that instant energy. But the more ex- at the more extreme ends of that market, 
you know, that's dominated by products that have up to 400 milligram doses of caffeine in there, plus all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a jolt of energy. So if you take in, let's say, two or three cups of Americanos a day, a high-end pre-workout supplement, and a few other hidden sources, you're up there between 800 and 1,000 milligrams a day. That's mm -hmm. insane. And, 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 coffee, is, it, and is, it, is it caffeine that's the real issue here that uh, that you're trying to make sure that you're not overindulging in? Yes. Caffeine is, uh, as, as, as medical experts will tell you, it, it acts um, like a drug. You must be careful with it. It's very potent in moderation, but you overdo it. And, you know, it, it, it gives you this... People think it just gives you energy, like coffee is the energy, but coffee doesn't give energy. It pushes the body into an increased work rate. It causes spikes in adrenaline and insulin, and that leads to an increased heart rate and, and a release of your own energy. And, and, and that can lead to you know, some bad news for people who are who over the long term anyways. And then the, this temporary lift also interferes with uh, adenosine, the hormone responsible for sleep. And that means you, we can't fall asleep using it in excess. And, of course, you're going to try to drink more coffee because you're not making a connection. Mm -hmm. You're drowsy. Mm -hmm. And then you're using energy from bodily reservoirs. You know, it, you're really cannibalizing your own energy levels over time by using it in, in excess. So in time... That brings on complete exhaustion. You you may never realize really what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's an easy and, cycle for people to get into where there's uh, the the coffee is creating sleep deprivation. The sleep de deprivation feeds into the need for more coffee, and and so you're you're really in a negative cycle that uh, is hurting your health. Now the health benefits that you were talking about from coffee is that also because of the caffeine or are there other properties within coffee that are providing some of those benefits? Coffee has hundreds of compounds, yeah. hundreds. We, we don't really understand if it's just, well, I say we, <laughs> the scientists, yeah. uh, they don't really understand if it's just coffee. They know when you drink coffee, you have these benefits, Yeah. but they don't understand if it's only the coffee. And I would, I would suggest that it's not just the caffeine itself. Mm -hmm. because it's like um, tea. Tea has hundreds of compounds that are beneficial to the body. So you can't isolate one. It just doesn't work like that in nature at all. No food just has like, say, this is high in vitamin C, that's all you're going to get. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. There's hundreds of compounds, right? Sure. So uh, I, I think we're at the beginning stages of understanding what coffee really is. Coffee used to be bad for us, right? You drink coffee, it's bad for you. Well, that's not the case. It's excess. Uh -huh. uh, it's very, very powerful. Drink it in moderation. And I think there's a lot of compounds in coffee. Um, if you use it, it with, um, you know, without having a chemical coffee. So you want to use it in a, the organic. Yeah. So uh, another uh, concern as far as coffee goes is that it is acidic. Uh, how How much does, say, drinking coffee affect your acid alkaline your ph balance in your body yeah you know what's surprising about that is not many people talk about this and uh coffee's not the most acidic of food but you're certainly going to amplify the the an acidic intake with a, with a, a lot of coffee so at, coffee has acids that influence 
the coffee taste. But what we're talking about is the pH scale that ranges from zero to 14. So seven would be neutral, less than seven would be acidic, and greater than seven increases alkalinity, or it indicates an increased alkalinity. So coffee is generally rated around five or so on on that scale. Hmm. And that's fairly acidic. If you're eating foods around five all the time, you'd get sick quickly. Hmm. Now, if you have a habit of drinking coffee more than once a day, then a quick fix that you could do to make it less acidic is just to add, say you're brewing a cup of coffee, add an eighth or a quarter teaspoon of baking soda in there to a brewing pot or a, a pinch to a to your cup. And I've actually tried this and I, I, I use that trick now. Uh, so it comes down to basic chemistry there because the baking soda is alkaline with a pH of eight. Uh, and it can bring down the overall pH of your coffee to about, to a neutral round seven, mm-hmm. you know, which would be, healthy on on the pH scale. What's even more interesting though is that scientists have shown that it also, uh, the baking soda changes the chemistry of the bean itself. And that reduces the amount of caffeine present in the coffee by about 10%. Hmm. And it doesn't really affect the taste at all. It actually makes it a little, they say it makes it taste better and milder, which, which I prefer. But having said that, you know, we, we want to really understand not to progressively increase internal acidosis in the body. We have to be careful with that. And so to, to stop excessive dietary intake of acidic foods and drinks, that includes coffee, you know, and we have to add more alkaline foods such as fruits and vegetables. And, you know, most people don't understand how this works at all because the body has um, multiple systems that buffer these acids, you know, and if we overwhelm the system, then disease ensues. So basically alkaline foods just raise the pH levels in the bloodstream so the body isn't required to use its own reserves, right, of alkaline calcium salts. And, And those salts, they just balance that ratio. So, like I said, the baking soda is is a is an aid in that. There are um, s- several articles that we offer on the trumpet that I just like to highlight for our listeners uh, on the subject of alkalinity. Um, there's three that I looked at. Uh, one is we are what we eat, the acid alkaline balance. The second is we are what we eat, the horrific American diet. And the third is three principles of healthful living. Excellent, excellent articles. And uh, I, w- I would really encourage um, our listeners to read those to get a, a good understanding of pH balance because they really spell out the, the cause of sickness and disease and keeping healthy in the first place. And that includes both food and drink, coffee included, in moderation. My moderation is one to two cups. If you can't manage that, if you're going over steadily, then you might want to opt out entirely and just drink more water. You know, you're not going to get that jolt of energy, but in the long run, your energy levels will be more consistent and you'll avoid just the, these ca- caffeine-related um, ailments. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a lot of what we're talking about regards uh, caffeine. Um, you talked about the health benefits. We're not sure whether that uh, that's how much of that is caffeine intake versus other other properties within the coffee. Let's just talk a, 
talk about decaffeinated coffee. I find I'm quite sensitive to caffeine, and and if I if I uh, drink too much of it, then I I I'll get headaches really easily and that type of thing. But decaffeinated coffee doesn't give me any trouble. Um, what what are what is your view of decaf? Yeah, very common what you're describing. Uh, and it is the caffeine usually that that brings about those symptoms. Decaffeinated is, is the go-to choice for people like yourself. It has about three milligram caffeine per cup. Very low. It's just a cell, uh, stellar substitute for the regular cup of coffee. Uh, it's got same great taste, all the health benefits without the jitters and stomach mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. One caveat. <laughs> there always is one. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, in order to strip caffeine from your cup of coffee, the beans need to undergo processing. And that's usually with a combination of chemicals, meth- methylene chloride, ethyl acetate, and other chemicals, if, if it's not organic. Now, even though methyl, methylene chloride is in trace amounts, like 10 parts per million, and that's what they say, but I don't know how they test that, it's still a dangerous chemical because in large quantities, it causes cancer, and we know that. So the best decaffeinated method uh, is what's called the Swiss water process method. Right. Uh, it just uses water to remove 99.9% of caffeine, um, no trace chemicals, mm-hmm. you know, and you can maximize, by having organic coffee, you maximize the benefits of the beans without the risk of consuming pesticides as well. So um, a good brand, you know, I'm not promoting any, but everybody's heard of the Kicking Horse brand. Uh, hmm. it's, it's up there. They, they sell that besides regular coffee. And then some, some of these um, decaffeinated ones also have what's called mushroom extracts. And they reduce stress levels and improve sleep and the immune system. So it's just a wonderful option to go that route. Mm-hmm. Well, marvelous. We really uh, appreciate all of the uh, practical suggestions there so that we can enjoy our cup of joe without the uh, without the problems associated with. We've been talking with personal trainer and holistic nutritionist York Mardian about coffee, the benefits and some things to watch out for. He's working on an article about this. You can watch for at the trumpet.com. We'll also link in the show notes to those three articles about the acid alkaline balance that we have on the trumpet.com. You can check those out as well. Thanks so much for your time, Jorg. It was a pleasure. It's time for today's last word. Prayer is hard. Prayer that reaches God and produces results. But Jesus Christ was perfect at it. Throughout his life, He knew that to fulfill his colossal spiritual mission, he needed to maintain perfect contact with his Father. And he did that through daily, regular, continual communication. He prayed for long stretches in isolation apart from others when he wouldn't be disturbed. He also prayed as events were taking place that compelled him to reach out to his Father. He prayed for his disciples 
And when he needed to seek God's guidance on a weighty decision like choosing his disciples or facing grievous trial, sometimes he spent multiple hours or even all night in prayer. You can read these examples all through the Gospels. Jesus prayed earnestly, fervently, with deep emotion, at times with strong crying and tears. His life depended on it. The Father's plan, humanity depended on that. Before his crucifixion, Luke twenty two forty four says, Jesus was in agony when he prayed. He wrestled in prayer and threw his whole being into it. And by doing so, he remained wholly unified in thought and purpose and spirit with his Father. And his prayer brought results. Christ's disciples saw his example, and they asked him to teach them to pray as he did. You can read that in Luke 11. And he gave them a prayer outline that focuses on praising the Father, on entreating for the Father to rule on earth, interceding unselfishly for God's work and for other people, repenting, praying for protection, Christ taught his disciples to avoid phony, showy prayer and vain repetition. He told them to build a sincere, intimate relationship with the Father. You can also read that in Matthew 6. So Jesus Christ is our teacher. He's our example. And it is his mind that Philippians 2.5 says we are to let be in us. And that includes our prayers. God wants you to pray like Christ. In fact, he wants you to pray with Christ's mind in the same spirit Christ prayed in. The Apostle Jude wrote, But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Gerald Flurry wrote this in his booklet on Jude. Praying in the Spirit is not just prayer. It is life-changing prayer that gets through to God. It gets marvelous results. This is how we keep building that most holy faith. Can you discern if you're praying in the Spirit? This is a vital question that we need to answer. The Apostle Paul admonishes true Christians in Ephesians 6.18 to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So if Christ is inspiring your prayers, you're going to be focusing not on yourself, but on God the Father, on his family, on other people. You will offer persevering persistent intercessions for others, just just like Christ did. So when you're on your knees talking to God about someone or something, ask yourself how Christ himself would pray for that individual or how he would pray for that situation. Ask God to give you godly perspective and compassion and wisdom so that you can pray in more perfect harmony with his will. Throughout your prayers, strive to think like Christ. This will help you overcome selfishness, indifference, distractibility, drowsiness. It'll help you develop deeper humility, more love, more godly passion. Moment by moment, work to fill your communication with the mind of Christ. And as you do, the most powerful result from prayer begins to unfold. 
Learning how to pray this way helps you grow in God's love. We have a book called How to Pray, and it says intercession is hard, but what is happening as you learn how to pray this way? Meditating deeply on others' trials and troubles, bringing those before God, trying to beseech God passionately on their behalf in a way that's consistent with God's will, that changes your thinking. This book says, can you see how practicing that and learning how to do that is actually building the love of God? It is teaching you to think like God, to become God. God is deeply concerned for others. He's deeply concerned for his work. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercessions. Well, you know, there's perhaps no more personal and profound way to learn to think like Christ than to work to emulate him as an intercessor. Build the daily habit of interceding for others by praying like Christ, and you will be developing the mind of Christ. That book says if you are driving yourself to give detailed, faithful, fervent, spirit-led prayers on their behalf, those prayers are the love of God. The more perfect those prayers are, the more they reflect the perfect love of God. Herbert W. Armstrong taught that God's supreme creative accomplishment is to create his holy, righteous character in another being, to spiritually reproduce himself. Well, as we learn to pray like Christ, using the Spirit of God and building the mind of Christ, God is using that tool of prayer to reproduce himself in you. And prayer can achieve no greater, more awesome result than that. The more you bring Jesus Christ's mind into your prayers, the more God is accomplishing the most powerful result that can possibly come from those prayers, the creation of a God being. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to my guest, Joshua Michels. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. And I'll leave you with this thought from E.P. Powell. Thanksgiving Day is a jewel to set in the hearts of honest men. But be careful that you do not take the day and leave out the gratitude. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.